We're in a two-part series that we started last week uh, that I've entitled the promise, the promise of Christmas and the emphasis on Christ, Mass. That's the major emphasis. And God named Jesus specifically in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. He was very specific about giving Jesus the name Jesus. And it kind of may seem almost redundant to us now, but it says you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And what an incredible thing is we come into Christmas with all its trappings and we can enjoy those, celebrate. I love some of the cultural things that are part of our society around Christmas, but we should never lose the central thing. It's the coming of a Saviour. His name is Jesus and he will save us from our sin. A.W. Toes, a wonderful author, said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he goes on to explain that we tend by a secret law of the soul towards, to move towards our mental image of God. And so if we have a distorted image, an unbiblical image of God, maybe one that's been instilled in us from childhood, maybe it's a reflection of a father figure or some other authority figure that's just given greater power, but is mean, petty, judgmental, that then we're going to think of God in that way. And that's why it's so important to come to God's Word and say, Lord, reveal yourself to me. And that's a lifelong pursuit, understanding or seeking to understand the living God. Because a healthy self-image is important, but the secret to who you really are and the key to your future is not your self-image, as important as that is, it's your God image, your understanding of God. And so at this Christmas season, Isaiah prophesying hundreds of years before gives us an insight as to who this Jesus is, God made manifest in the flesh, God revealing Himself to us. And He says to us in Isaiah 9 verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Last week, and you can watch this again on delay if you missed it or you want to watch it again, we looked at those first two. Jesus is Wonderful Counselor and Jesus is Mighty God. In Colossians, with regard to Jesus as Wonderful Counselor, Paul says in Colossians 2 verse 3, He is the key that opens the hidden treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge. Isn't that an incredible statement? Jesus is the key that opens the hidden treasure of all of God's wisdom and knowledge. And He makes that available to us. No idea, no concept, no piece of knowledge, no point of understanding is beyond His reach or ability. It might be beyond ours, but as we lean into Him, He can lead us and guide us. And that's what's behind the thought, wonderful counsellor. And the fact that Jesus is just altogether wonderful and kind of that's what I'm doing primarily in this message. It's just bragging on Jesus, celebrating Jesus. But it was also Jesus, 
mighty God, Al Gabor, the God of strength, the God of power. God is our warrior. God is our battle champion. And I love something in the book of Revelation and without getting all weird about the book of Revelation, that the whole is whatever's going on in earth, there's a revelation of what Jesus is doing and who he is in the heavenly realm. And we can get so obsessed about what's going on down on earth and it's not insignificant. But the real revelation is how does God in the person of Jesus Christ respond to the chaos on planet earth? And in Revelation 17, there's this insight in Jesus, the lamb to us, but in terms of what we're dealing with, he's the mighty warrior, a battle champion. And they will wage war against the lamb and the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, faithful followers. And I just love that. I could go on a tangent here, but I'm not. Just notice, he is Lord of lords and King of kings. He's our battle champion. And with him, we stand with him in the victory. We stand with him in the overcoming. It's not our victory. It's not our strength, but we stand with him. But let's jump into the two that we want to look at this morning. Jesus, firstly, as everlasting Father. And it's not that He is taking the place of God the Father, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the Godhead. The, the, the term in the Hebrew can literally be translated the Father of eternity, the one who has mastered time and eternity. And, and another way of putting it, He's the possessor. And we, we talk about it just to try and get a connection here. A, a father of a nation. And we look to a person that, that initiated and obviously, we, when we talk about Jesus in this way, it's magnified dramatically. Jesus became a child in time through his birth, but he remains the father, the possessor of eternity and all that is within that. Eternity boggles my mind, I'm sure it does yours. And we may not understand the goodness of our everlasting father, because of our earthly experiences. The word father can invoke a range of emotions in us. And even as I've said it, some people, yeah, your heart leapt with warmth and maybe a bit of tragedy because they've passed on. But for others, it was, that's an awful picture. Uh, a neglectful father, perhaps. Uh, not engaged, not caring, maybe distant, maybe struggling with their own life problems and just not available or distorted by those issues. But the powerful thing is that Jesus reveals the Father heart of God to us. And he said this in John 14, verse 19, when one of the disciples says, show us the Father. And he said, I've been with you so long. Don't you understand, Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I want you to get that. If you want to know what your Father, the Father heart of God is like towards people, look at the way Jesus responds to broken, lost, hurting people. Look, look to how Jesus responds to people who are caught in their own sin, who are broken, but come to him for help. It's never with this harsh, judgmental, angry old man in the sky approach. What he didn't treat kindly was hypocrisy, religious hypocrisy. And the truth be, all of us are a little bit hypocritical, 
Maybe not you, true confessions of a pastor. <laughs> but let me just expand on this. And like I said, more than anything, I just want to brag on Jesus today, everlasting Father. He inhabits and possesses eternity. In that regard, one of my favourite verses comes out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 57 and verse 15. And the sheer enormity of the statement kind of just leaves me in a sense of true awe and wonder. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity. One translation says who inhabits eternity. I can't even comprehend eternity. I don't know about you. You kind of get this thing, well, this and this. Our minds always want to make something finite in order to grapple with it. But eternity on either end of it just has no end. That was interesting statement. But anyway, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in a high and a holy place. And in my initial instinct, that's nowhere near where I live. I live often in a place of struggle, in a place of need, in a place of brokenness, in a place of journeying through stuff and growing through stuff. I'm not in that place. But listen to this, with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with a repentant heart. And it's just this extraordinary, this high and lofty God who inhabits eternity, who's ultimately beyond our comprehension, stoops down into time, into our lives to lift us up. And all we need is that acknowledgement, I need you. His name is eternal. In Psalm 72 and verse 17, it says, His name shall endure forever. And I love that because Christ's actions led to total humiliation on the cross. And because He was willing to set all of that aside, His glory uh, is restored to Him and beyond by the Father. And the Scripture says God has highly exalted Him. And listen to this, the book of Philippians 2. Paul's just talking about how Jesus emptied himself, humbled himself, became a human being, died on the cross for us. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. He has a name that is above every name. If you can name a circumstance, if you can name anything in your life and says, I don't know, Jesus' name has authority over that. And you can come to Him, this eternal name, the name of Jesus for deliverance, for healing, for forgiveness, for restoration. So he inhabits and possesses eternity. His name is eternal. His character is eternally consistent. And we know, I mean, the world's always been changing. Change is the constant for us as human beings. It's just become more dramatic in the last two years. Uh, I said to somebody once, if I have to pivot one more time, I'm going to become a ballerina. <laughs> and I just want you to picture that. Just, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> But this constant pivoting, and, and you experience that in the workplace, in church, and whatever it is. Yes, we can, we know we can't. There's this numbers. Now you've got to do this, a social distance, you've got to wear masks, now you don't. But if you go to another state, then you do. If you can get into that, you know what I'm talking about. All the stuff. 
our lives are continually changing, made more dramatic by the last two years. But Jesus is consistent. I love this in the book of Hebrews 13 verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And because He's the same, it's talking about He doesn't have the same response to everything, but His character is consistent and He will respond to you consistent with His character. A loving God, a forgiving God, a kind God, a mighty God, a powerful God, a God who's a deliverer and a fortress and a strong tower. And we can come to Him knowing He's not like the other ancient gods who are arbitrary and if you get them in a bad mood one day, you're in trouble. He's consistent. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. He is the eternal provider. Even though this world is marked by unfairness, inequity and suffering, when we put our trust, our faith in Jesus, we're putting our lives into the hands of the everlasting Father, the provider. Revelation again, 21 and verse 6 and following. Then he said to me, it is done. Jesus speaking, I am Alpha and Omega. Just the beginning and the end and everything beyond it. I will give water to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. And the one who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God. And he will be my son, my child. What a great statement of provision. This living water that flows continually from the throne of God made available to us to strengthen, to sustain, to quench, to do all those things. I'm just touching on these are all sermons in and of themselves. I'm just, we're getting there. I know that's a bit of a checklist, but I'm celebrating Jesus. As everlasting Father, He provides protection. There is no one like the God of Yeshurim. Yeshurim is just a, a name of honour for Israel. I thought I'd just put that in there to help us. Who rides across the heavens to help you. And on the clouds in His majesty, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Like, come on, you talk about an incredible picture. And the writer is trying to give image to the invisible God, to how He responds to us, who rides across the heavens to help you. And when He does, underneath, as He lifts you, are the everlasting arms. How awesome is that? How awesome. He provides comfort. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. Comfort and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. He's saying there's this eternal comfort, the assurance of eternal salvation if you put your trust in Jesus. There is wonderful hope available to you, no matter how hopeless you may feel your situation is, or even just a part of your life. You go, I don't know what to do there. We've all been in that place. But He's going to give you the courage and comfort in everything you do and say. As you just seek to include Him in the everyday of your life, He's there. Again, a prophecy out of Isaiah, which is actually quoted in the Gospels as well. A bruised reed, 
he will not break. And a smouldering wick, he will not snuff out. And there's just such powerful imagery there. A reed that's broken, he's not going to snap it off. You feel bruised and bent over and, and you, you just can't feel on your last legs. He's not going to go, oh, that's broken. Just... No, he doesn't do that. He, he, he comes with tenderness, with compassion. He's the everlasting father. And the most wonderful thing in this, he provides presence, his presence. He says to us, as he sends us out into this world in the Great Commission, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always. And I really feel these people, perhaps in this auditorium, watching online, even if it's on delay, that you just need that assurance. God is with you, not some of the time, not a little bit of the time, not on occasions if you've been good. He just says, I'm with you always. How awesome is that? Once we become Christ's child, we are his and he's ours. I love something that Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers said, there is no unfathering Christ. He's with reference to him as everlasting father. There is no unfathering Christ and there's no unchilding us. He is the everlasting father to, he is, sorry, he is everlasting a father to those who trust in him. There's no unfathering Christ and there's no unchilding us. He is everlasting a father to those who trust in him. Finally, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. We looked at him as wonderful, as counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, but Prince of Peace. And as I've mentioned before, and you well know this, we live in a world that is divided. There's increasing threats of war. And in some places there are wars, civil wars, all sorts of tragedy. And we crave peace more than ever before. We live in this world of incredible turmoil, which has been magnified. It always was there, but it's been magnified by our combined COVID experience. And often we attempt to find peace in different ways. And sometimes we resort to unhealthy ways, kind of to numb, to medicate. And no matter how hard we try, we'll never have true lasting peace until we find the source of peace. Because one thing that the Bible makes very clear, peace has little or nothing to do with circumstance. It has to do with a relationship with the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The word prince there means ruler, official, captain. It's kind of obvious. But peace there comes from the Hebrew concept of peace, shalom. And it's not just a lack of aggro, a lack of difficulty and circumstance. Shalom has to do with something that happens in your soul and in your mind. It is something that envelops your life regardless of circumstance. The peace of God. And I just want to touch on this with three thoughts, four thoughts. Final one is to wrap it. I told you I was going to brag about Jesus, didn't I? And I'd love to do a message on each of these points, but Christmas is almost upon us. Jesus 
provides peace in our circumstance. In John 16, verse 33, after a lengthy conversation with the disciples, he says, in this world, you will have peace and tranquility and nothing will ever go wrong because you follow me. Is that in your Bible? I wish it was in mine. Like seriously, I wish it was. But Jesus is so honest and real with us. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. I've got an old song from a musical and a few of you who are of my vintage would start trouble with a capital T. We're not going to sing that, but anyway. What? Rap it? I'm not doing that either. (laughs) Can somebody just deal with this? (laughs) The peanut gallery over here. It's great. I love the feedback. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart or take courage. I have overcome the world. And then Jesus has also said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I want you to notice this. It's not the world's peace that you can only have peace when there's a lack of conflict, when there's no issues. He says in the midst of crisis, I can give you peace. The Apostle Paul in prison under a death sentence talks about that kind of peace. We'll come to that in a moment. So it's got nothing to do with our circumstance. In the most troublesome of circumstances, he says, I'll give you peace. Incredible. He provides peace for our minds. I'm one of those people that if I'm struggling with something, it sort of starts playing in my mind and I find it hard to shut my mind down. And I can go to bed exhausted, but if that thought's there, it'll keep me awake. And I'm thinking, I feel so tired. I just want to sleep. Anybody else out there? Oh, yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, And then there are people like Linda who just fall asleep anywhere, anytime, almost at will. And uh, I I just, she says it's a piece of God. I think it's a seared conscience, to be honest with you. But anyway, (laughs) that's just our little joke. (laughs) She really lives in the peace of God. But God, Jesus provides peace for our minds. And Paul, like I said, writing from prison under death sentence, says this, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and the peace of God. And I want to just speak that over our lives. I include myself in this. And the peace of God that transcends, it's beyond what your mind's trying to grapple with. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul mentions the heart there, but I just want to strengthen the heart because some stuff goes beyond our heads and gets into our heart, gets into our spirit, however you want to put it. And in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your heart for you were called to peace and be thankful. I want you to know there's this constant invitation from God through Jesus, coming to my peace. I, I know there's stuff there that's troubling you. And it's not that you should ignore it, but coming to the peace, coming to the peace, you are called into peace, God's peace. 
And he says, let that rule. And the word rule there is act as an umpire. And perhaps we need to sort of capture this graphic picture of every time we start leaning into the trouble and the turmoil and not allow the peace of God to rule, that there's an umpire standing there blowing a whistle. Hey, get back on, on side. Get back into the, your position. That's not where you should be. You shouldn't be in that worry spot. And I acknowledge that it's easy to talk about this, but it's something we ought to be reminded of and say, God, help me to live in that peace. And so I'll conclude with this. Jesus provides peace with God. And if you remember at the beginning of this message, and you go, there was a beginning, I forgot it was so long ago. At the beginning of this message, I said, God specifically named Jesus. You will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's called Jesus because he's our saviour. And Jesus is the one through him dying on the cross and all that he suffered before that, confronting and taking the keys of hell and death from the enemy, rising again and ultimately ascending up on high as King of kings and Lord of lords. It's through Jesus we have peace with God. Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, we have been made right in God's sight by faith. Just echo in your mind, by faith. We've been made right by God, by faith, by faith. Just say that again, by faith. By putting my trust in Jesus. By putting my trust in what he did. It's not my good works. It's not my effort. All of us are drawn to that. I need to earn my way. No, no, you'll never earn your way to heaven. You trust your way to heaven. By putting your trust in the person of Jesus, in what he did for you and I and just receiving it. We've been made right with God by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. And I wanna ask you today very directly and very specifically, are you at peace with God? Or are you in that place where you feel God is this angry person old man in the sky or that he's distant and he's withdrawn and he doesn't care. None of those things are true. We have this revelation that I've been through in Isaiah's prophecy, just one amongst many passages that speak to the nature, the character of God revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, you can have peace with God. You can be made right with God by simply putting your faith, your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. If you haven't done it, I'm going to invite you to do it right now. Do it now. Why not? Why put it off? Why delay getting right with God? We're at the celebration of the Christ event of Jesus stepping out of time, the eternal Father into, uh, out of eternity into time. What better time to get right with God? I mean, any time's good, but what better than right now, this moment?